0: Well, happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. So, so glad. Oh, some of you personalized that with my name. That was really good. Way to go. Well, welcome. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today, what I'd like to do as we celebrate Easter is I would like us to go back to that original Easter week and kind of walk back through some of the events that happened starting on Palm Sunday, which for us was symbolized last week, and then walk up to what happened on Resurrection Sunday. And I'd like us to do this kind of through the eyes of one of Jesus' closest followers. So this is gonna sound a little bit weird, but I would like you to kind of assume the role of one of Jesus' followers, like pick a name, like who you wanna be this morning. And the Bible says that there were two groups of followers of Jesus that were very close to him. There was the 12 disciples that he hand-selected who later became his apostles. And there, then there was a group called the Seventy. The Seventy was a mixture of men and women who followed Jesus closely. So for guys, uh, we've got at least 12 names that we're aware of that you could pick. So you could pick Peter, James, John. Don't pick Judas. Didn't go so well for Judas. Ladies, I suggest you pick the name Mary. All the Marys followed Jesus. So uh, take a second, tell the person next to you the name that you have chosen this morning. All right, go ahead, like the person next to you. All right, everybody got your name? All right, here we go. So we're gonna walk with Jesus through the events of Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday as one of his early disciples. So on Palm Sunday... Uh, We're with Jesus and we go from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley across and we go up into the gates of Jerusalem. As we walk into Jerusalem, Jesus is riding on a donkey and we hear and we see fellow Jews bowing down to worship him. They're laying down palm branches in front of him. They're putting their robes in front of them and they are hailing him as their king. And there's just this excitement in the air, this buzz in the air. And we are super excited about this. And we think just maybe they're going to appoint him as the king of the Jews. And we can defeat the Romans and be a nation again under God. And we're just excited about what's happening in that moment. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen next, but we can't wait to see. And then on Monday, we go with Jesus again back into Jerusalem. And this time we go into the temple and Jesus does something that's very uncharacteristic for him. He walks into the temple, he looks around and he sees people using it as a marketplace, not a place of prayer. They're buying and selling things. Jesus gets angry and he flips over tables. He actually makes a whip and he uses that whip to drive those people out of the temple. All right, now here we are following Jesus and and our minds are whirling like, this is not characteristic for Jesus. This is a little bit weird. He actually made a whip and he's using it. This is craziness. But if he's gonna be our leader, we like the confidence that he has. He sees a problem and he solves a problem. He steps in and fixes that problem. So this is kind of great. He's made a whole lot of people angry. He's gonna have to do a little damage control after this, but we like his passion. And on Tuesday, Jesus gets a little hungry. We're kind of walking along. He sees a fig tree, goes over to that fig tree, and he's looking for a snack. There aren't any fig newtons there. So Jesus curses the tree, and it dies. Now, we're watching that thinking, well, that's weird. What did the tree do? Uh, That's strange. But Jesus, that little trick could come in handy especially versus our political and military enemies. Maybe you could just curse them and they will die and they'll know not to mess with us. So we don't understand the symbolism of that, but it's still kind of a cool thing. Then on Wednesday, it's a pretty low-key day, on Thursday, we're going to celebrate the Last Supper with Jesus. Jesus. We don't know it's the Last Supper, but we're excited because Jesus has told us there's going to be a professional painter there. We've never had our picture taken before, so we think, you know what, I'm going to put on my best robe. I'm going to look sharp for this picture. And, and even though it's a little bit weird, the painter wants us all to sit on the same side of the table. We don't normally sit that way, but that's a little strange. He wants us to wear these little things on our head he calls halos. Don't get that either, but we're excited to be at dinner with Jesus. And then Jesus does something that is very characteristic for him. He takes his robe off, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets down and he washes our dirty feet. And we're thinking, like, "Ah, that shouldn't happen. Like, you're the teacher, you're the rabbi, we're the students, we should be washing your feet. And yet here Jesus is washing our feet, and he says, like, this is the example I want you to follow. I've washed your feet, now I want you to go and serve other people in the same way, have the same heart, have the same passion for, for serving others. It's not about people serving you. It's about you serving other people. Then after dinner, Jesus takes some bread and he breaks it and he hands it around, takes a cup of wine and he takes a drink out of it and he passes it around as well. And he gives this vampire talk. He says, this is my body. I want you to take and eat it. This is my blood. I want you to take and drink it. Now, we know that every leader has problems, right? There's no perfect leader out there. Every leader has issues and and every group of followers has to overlook some leader's problem that they have. And so we kind of think, you know, this is one we're just going to have to overlook, Jesus. Like, this is weird. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. That's weird but we're just going to overlook that. Thursday night, we go with Jesus into the garden of Gethsemane. We go there for prayer. Now, it's been a long week, a lot of excitement going on, and we're pretty tired. It's pretty late, so we fall asleep. But we wake up to some guards coming with one of our very own fellow disciples, Judas. Judas comes into the garden. He betrays Jesus. And we watch as Jesus is arrested and Jesus is then taken to the high priest's house, a guy by the name of Caiaphas, and he is found guilty of blasphemy against God. And we know that's not true. And Jesus is taken to the Roman official named Pilate and he is found guilty and he's sentenced to death for something he didn't do. He didn't do anything wrong. And then Friday, We watch as Jesus is nailed to a cross. We watch as he dies. And I wonder, how are you feeling if you're one of Jesus' disciples? This is a chance for you to participate out loud with with us in the service. How are you feeling? Confused. Confused. Sad. Sad. Someone said dead. Dead. Sad. Sad. Angry. Angry. Scared. Broken. Broken. Hopeless. Hopeless. So all great things I think Jesus' original disciples would have felt in that moment. Like, this is the guy we put all of our hopes and dreams in, and now he's gone. On the screens is a picture of the garden tomb in Israel. It's one of the possible places where Jesus was buried and uh, there's several places where he could have been buried, but this is just one of those possible places. And, and as you can tell, we have our own version of the garden tomb here on stage with me. And uh, in the first service, we had Betty Joe and her husband David who helped put this together. So they're not here right now, but would you like thank them from the creative media team? So we're going to use this today to help us kind of understand what was happening around the tomb so uh, what happened before Jesus died was he told everybody, uh, you know, it's okay, I'm, I'm going to die, but after I die, I'm going to rise from the grave in three days. And the religious leaders who had Jesus killed were worried that his disciples were going to come and steal the body out of the tomb and then claim, oh, he's risen from the grave like he said would happen And they thought, you know, if that happens, we'll be worse off than before we had Jesus executed. So we've got to do something here. So they go to the Roman governor, Pilate, and they ask permission to seal the tomb. Now, we're not exactly sure how they sealed the tomb completely. We know a few things, but there's a few speculations that we have. So what we do know is Scripture tells us that they rolled a large stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. Now, this was not just a stone that any one person could move. This was a stone that would take multiple strong people to move into place. And once it was in place, nobody was going to be able to easily move that out of place without a whole bunch of people helping them do that. Now, because I have superhuman strength, <laughs> you can see how easy it is for me to move this thing into position. You like that? That was fantastic. Yes, me against styrofoam, it is no match for me. All right. Now, something else that might have happened is they might have taken large metal spikes and driven those spikes on the outside of the entrance of that tomb, on either side of that stone. They might have taken then rope or chains and secured those rope, that rope and chains to the spikes that were on the outside of the tomb as well, to help seal that. Now, not exactly sure whether that happened or not, but when we, a group of us were in Israel in January, one of our guides pointed out something that was on either side of that tomb. Take a look at this picture. So this picture is a remnant of metal spikes, that can be found on either side of the garden tomb. So again, not exactly sure if that's what happened, but this could have, have been what it partially looked like. In addition, there's speculation that maybe they took a wax, some sort of wax seal, and put that wax where the chains or the ropes would cross each other. Again, all in an attempt to keep everybody from messing with this tomb. They didn't do this stuff normally with tombs. Normally, people weren't trying to get in and take bodies. But with this tomb, they were extra worried about that. Now, in addition to all of that, they put some guards in place. All right, so Pilate said, take some guards, station them outside of the tomb for three days. These guards had one job. Don't let anybody in and don't let anybody out. And if you didn't do your job, you would pay for it with your life. So I'm thinking, however all that happened with sealing the tomb, the tomb was pretty well secured, was pretty well sealed. Listen to Matthew 28 verse 1. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Now why are these ladies coming to the tomb? To put ointment on the body? Yep. So they're going to see a dead body. They're not going to see if Jesus has risen from the grave. They've got spices and ointments with them. They're going to say goodbye to Jesus. But verse 2 changed everything. Verse 2 says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. So hold on one second. Dead faint. We got the angel rolls the stone. Oh wait, stay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The angel rolls the stone away and it, and it stays. Okay, verse five. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. Now imagine again, you're one of these ladies, you're one of these disciples, and Like you walk up, you see these soldiers that look like they're dead. You see this bright guy sitting on top of of the stone and you hear him say, I know what you're here for, but Jesus isn't here. So what are you thinking after all that you've been through Friday and Saturday? I'm kind of thinking, what do you mean he's not here? I watched him be crucified. I watched them stick a spear in, in his side I watched him die. I watched them take him down and wrap him in a a strip of linen. I watched them bury him in this tomb. What do you mean he isn't here? Where is he? And then I wonder if the angel's words echoed in their minds again. He isn't here, for he is risen, just as he said would happen. That statement has changed the world. Because death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't stop him. Sin couldn't defeat him. All because Jesus was God in the flesh who defeated the curse of sin and death that we brought into the world. Nothing could hold him back from stepping out of that tomb on that first Easter morning and revealing that he was fully alive and well. Verse seven, the angel interrupted their shock and confusion by saying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead for he is going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Now, if you're one of these ladies, what are you gonna do at this moment? Are you gonna stand there and argue with the angel demanding to know where Jesus' body is? Are you going to fall in a slump in grief that someone has taken his body? Or are you gonna get up and run somewhere and tell somebody? Verse eight tells us, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy and they rushed to give the, the, the disciples, the angels message. Verse nine says, as they went, Jesus met them And greeted them. He just said, hi. I love the simplicity of that. I mean, it's almost as if Jesus was saying, "Uh, ladies, why are you surprised? I told you three days later, I would be back. I told you I'd rise from the grave. I told you I'd walk out of that thing. Why are you surprised? And that verse says, they ran, they fell at his feet, They grabbed his feet and they worshiped him. So Jesus met these ladies in their moment of great fear, of great confusion. He met them in their moment of great need and he revealed himself to them as the risen savior. And then not only that, He went on and revealed himself to others of his disciples on multiple occasions and the Bible says he revealed himself to over 500 people in one encounter to prove to them that he was alive and well, that he wasn't dead anymore. Now think about this, especially for these two ladies. These two ladies, they've just seen their risen savior. They've they've left the tomb, they've interacted with him. We have two Christians At the beginning of this movement, there's only two Christians in the world at this time. And for these ladies, everything else is the same as it was yesterday. Rome is still in control. The religious leaders who had Jesus crucified still think they've won. All of Jesus' other disciples still think he's dead, but one thing has changed Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive and well and they've got to tell people about it now what that means for these ladies in this moment and what it means for us I think is the same thing because Jesus isn't here we shouldn't stay here either we shouldn't live as if Jesus is still dead we shouldn't live in depression, in discouragement, in doubt. We shouldn't live in a fear. We shouldn't live in all the things that the, those early disciples felt on Friday and Saturday. We shouldn't live in those things because Jesus isn't here. He's risen just as he said would happen. But here's the problem. Sometimes we live, even Christians do this, sometimes we live as if Jesus We're still in the tomb. Sometimes we live as if we are one of Jesus' disciples and we're stuck in Friday or we're stuck in Saturday and we're still believing life is hopeless. We can't move forward. There's no hope for anything for us, for the future. Sometimes we live as if we're the ones stuck in the tomb. And then there's a heavy stone rolled in front of it, and we can't get out. But get this really cool thing. When the angel came to roll the stone away, he didn't roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out. He rolled the stone away so that the ladies and other disciples could look in and see that he wasn't there. So what that means for us is Jesus doesn't need any help rolling your stone away. He doesn't need any help rolling that uh, fear issue out of the way or that depression issue out of the way or that financial issue or that relationship issue. He doesn't need any help rolling your stone away because he isn't here. We shouldn't stay here either. Now, some of you might be thinking, I mean, and that just sounds great, but I've been kind of living in this tomb for so long. I've been living in my doubt, I've been living in my depression, I've been living in my fear, I've been living in my worry. I've just been living in my guilt. I've been living with my problems for so long. But let me remind you, just as Jesus met these women in their time of greatest need, Jesus can meet you in your time of great need and he can prove himself to you. So here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you If you feel entombed by something today, I encourage you to take a step out of your tomb. Take a step towards God. Take a step towards him. So if you feel imprisoned or entombed by something, maybe depression or or fear or shame or guilt or unforgiveness or bitterness or anything that, that tends to keep you stuck in the back of your tomb, let me remind you, Jesus isn't here. He's fully alive and well, and he invites you to live the abundant life that he died so you can have. So today, will you take a step out of your tomb with Jesus? Some of you might be battling large amounts of doubt, doubt that Jesus can help you Doubt about his resurrection. You may look at all this and go, like, I don't know that I I believe all that. So if you're in that spot where you're battling some doubt about Jesus and what he can do for you, I've got a a gift for you that I'd like you to take on your way out today. On your way out, someone's gonna hand you a copy of this book. This book is called The Case for Easter. It is written by an investigative journalist, a guy that used to work for the Chicago Tribune. His name is Lee Strobel. And one at one point in Lee's life, his wife became a Christ follower. He was an atheist. And he was really bothered by that. So he said he spent two years using all of his investigative skills to disprove Christianity so that she would come back and they would go back to life as normal. After two years of studying Christianity... He said it takes more faith for him not to believe in Jesus than it does for him to believe in Jesus. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And there's a movie that's come out by that name as well. He also wrote a whole series of books, and this is one of the books in that series, The Case for Easter. And listen to some of the things that he addresses in this book. Chapter 1 In that chapter, he addresses the medical evidence, and he answers the question, was Jesus' death a sham and his resurrection a hoax? If you've ever felt that, he's asked that question. He's gotten some real answers for that. In chapter 2, he deals with the evidence of the missing body. Was Jesus' body really absent from his tomb? And then in chapter 3, he looks at the evidence of appearances. Was Jesus really seen alive after his death on the cross? So if you've ever had those kind of questions about Jesus, about his resurrection, here's a book that provides some real answers for the real questions that you may have. So I encourage you to to read this. It's a small book. You can probably read it in uh, one sitting. Now, I did not get 1,000 copies of this book. I, I probably should have. I got 400 copies of this book. So what I hope that you'll do on your way out is take one copy per family, so if you're a single person, just grab one book. If you're a family of six, how many books? One. Yeah, one book. Awesome. Way to go. You're, you're alive and well and doing math on Sunday morning. Now, another thing that I encourage you to do, and it should be inside these books, is a little card, invitation card to our next series. It's called Objections to the Christian Faith. It's based on a survey that we did in January. So back in January, we invited our church family to submit any objection that they may have had in their lives or a family member has or a friend has to the Christian faith. And we took all of that data, we put it into categories, and we came up with the top five objections that we're going to deal with in this next series. So on the back of this card, it tells you what the objections are. So the first objection, the biggest objection that many people have to putting their faith in Jesus is Christian hypocrisy, Christians who don't live like Jesus. So if you've ever had that as one of your objections or you know somebody that's got that as an objection, I encourage you to come and invite them to come to this message with you. We're also gonna look at how can we know that God exists? Like, can we really know that? Is that really even possible? We're gonna to try to answer the question, if God does exist, why does he allow bad things to happen? Then we're gonna look at how can Christianity claim that it's the only way to heaven? And finally, we'll look at science and the Bible. And often we think those things are uh, contradictions to each other, that you can believe in science or you can believe in the Bible, but you can't believe in both. And we'll try to address that as one of the objections that people have. I think those two things, reading that book, books like that, and coming back for this series can help you. If you're in a spot of doubting I think it can help you take some big steps to seeing what a relationship with Jesus could really look like for you. Now, on your seat, there should be a little round card like this. I encourage everybody to, to grab that for just a minute. There should be a pin around you as well. So if you would, just grab that little card and grab a pin, you can share a pin, share a card if you need to. On the front side, it says, I'm stepping out of my tomb because Jesus is risen. And then on the back side, it's got a, a list of things that, that we might be entombed by, things that we might need to step out of. And you see a list there like depression or fear or sin or guilt, or there's just a line there where, where you can fill that in and you can write maybe what, whatever thing that you feel like has got you entombed. So what I encourage you to do is if you feel entombed by something, I encourage you this morning in this time frame, and we're about to celebrate communion together, I encourage you to just put a check mark by the thing that you feel entombed by, the thing that that you decide today you're going to step out of, that you're going to take a step with God out of your tomb, away from that thing, towards the life that God has for you. And you may not know exactly what that is going to look like, Just like the ladies who left the tomb when the angel said, he's not here. They didn't exactly know what they were doing other than they're going to tell somebody else that Jesus isn't in the tomb. And Jesus met them in their time of great need. I think Jesus will meet you in your time of great need as well. As you decide, I've got a problem. Like, there's this tomb I've been stuck in. And today's the end of that. Today I'm gonna take a step out of that with Jesus' help and You also may feel like this. You may feel like, you know what, like everything else in my life is the same. It's the same as when I walked in this morning. I'm still gonna go home to an empty house. I'm still gonna go go home to relationship conflict. I'm still gonna go home to financial issues. I still got my health issues I gotta deal with when I go home. But let me remind you of something. Because Jesus isn't here. Because Jesus stepped out of his tomb, we can step out of anything that entombs us. And he can help us do that. So I also hope that as you go through life and are tempted to take a step back towards your, your tomb, you'll remind yourself, I can't stay here because Jesus isn't here either. And I'm gonna step towards him in the life that he has for me. Now, some of you may be in the spot where you're considering checking that last box at the bottom. That last box says, I'm stepping into a personal relationship with Jesus for the first time. I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh who died so I can live and I receive his free gift of salvation and ask him to be my Lord and my Savior. Now here's the reality. If Jesus didn't step out of this tomb, we are all still dead in our sins. We have no hope for eternity. But because Jesus stepped out of that tomb, We literally can step out of our tombs, literally, because of Jesus' resurrection. That means after our death on this earth, we will be resurrected, and we will have the opportunity to live forever in a real place called heaven with our risen Savior. So if you're at that spot where you said, you know, I've never made that decision for me today, like I've never made that decision before and you sense that God is inviting you into that personal relationship, I hope that you'll check that box. Now, does checking a box give you eternal life? Nope. You're not gonna be able to stand before God one day and say, "Um, I checked a box. You should let me into heaven. It's not about checking a box. It's about a decision that you make in your mind. It's about believing That not only did Jesus die, but Jesus rose from the grave. And it's about inviting him to be your personal Lord and Savior. Listen to Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you'd like a personal relationship with Jesus that can last forever, and you've never made that decision before, I hope that you'll check that box Make that decision in your mind, in your heart, and announce it through checking the box. We had three people do that in the first service today. Three people put their faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior for the first time in their lives, and you could join them as well. Now, for anybody who's marked anything on this card, what I hope you'll do is I hope you'll bring your card up when we celebrate communion. So we're about to celebrate communion and, and just bring your card up and, and place it in one of our um, little baskets that we have on the table. And what's going to happen to these cards is these cards are going to be given to our elders and our prayer team. And our elders and our prayer team are going to be praying for you, praying that, that you will step with Jesus away from whatever is holding you back. If you want us to know you by name, put your name on the card, but you don't have to. If you want us to pray for you specifically, feel free to, to write a prayer request on there. And we'll get that and we'll be praying for you. Now, let me explain how we do communion here at Epic and then we'll do that. So at Epic, we believe communion should be available to anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if you've done that before in your life or if you've done that today for the first time or you're gonna do that today for the first time, then we invite you to celebrate communion with us. We have six different tables set up for communion. We have two up front. We have four in the back. In just a minute, I'm going to read a passage out of 1 Corinthians, and then I'm going to pray. And at the end of my prayer, our worship team is going to come out and guide us through a communion song. And at at that point, you'll be free to get up out of your seat and move to any one of these tables. And as you come up to one of these tables, if you have a card, just go ahead and drop your card down. And then pick up the communion elements. So the communion elements involve little pieces of bread or, or crackers. And that represents Christ's body, which was broken for us. And then the little cups of juice, which represents Christ's blood, which was poured out for us. So as you pick up those two elements, you can step off to one side. You can go ahead and sit back down while the the worship team is guiding us through this final song. And then I encourage you at some point during this song to pause for a prayer. A prayer of thanks to God for the reality that because he isn't here, we can have eternal life. So your prayer could sound something like this. If you're stepping out of something today, something that's entombed you, you could just say, Jesus, thank you for stepping out of your tomb and because you stepped out of your tomb, I know I can step out of my tomb with your help. So today I'm stepping out of my depression. I'm stepping out of my fear. I'm stepping out of my my financial issues. I'm stepping out of my sin. I'm stepping out of my guilt, my shame, whatever. If you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time as your Lord and Savior, your prayer could sound something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying so I can live. Thank you for stepping out of that tomb so I can have eternal life. Today I believe that you are a risen Savior and I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. Now teach me how to follow you the rest of my days. So just pray something that's meaningful to you and then take communion on your own when you're ready during the context of this next song. So hopefully that all makes sense. Now, before we celebrate community, let me tell you one more thing. So in January, early January, I was working on what we were gonna be talking about today. And I wasn't really sure, had some ideas, but I wasn't really sure which ideas I was going to chase down. And I came across Matthew 28, 16, or verse 6, where the angel said, uh, he is not here for he is risen. I thought, you know, that's got some traction. I'm not exactly sure what to do with that, but we'll spend some time fleshing that out and see if that's something that God might want us to address. And then shortly after that, a group of us went to Israel and we got to visit the garden tomb in January. So when I was at the garden tomb, I walked up to the tomb to look in just to see if he was there, you know, just checking. And on the door of the tomb, obviously the door is new. They put that there for security reasons. But on the door of the tomb is a sign. This is what the sign says. So I'm working early January trying to figure this out. I go on this trip. I walk up to the tomb and God's saying to me, hey, Trent, you got to remind everybody I'm not here. And because I'm not here, they shouldn't stay here either. So go and tell them that because I've stepped out of my tomb, they can step out of their tomb as well. So that was a really cool confirmation for me of what God wanted us to talk about today. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 11 says. It says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this. To remember me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And one day, folks, he's going to come again. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the reality that Jesus is not in the tomb. That Jesus has risen from the grave. He's defeated the curse of sin and death that we brought into the world and he made it possible for all of us to have eternal life. And yet, Lord, today there are, there are many people who live as if Jesus is still in the tomb, that Jesus is still dead, And Lord, we need to understand that you aren't. We need to live as if that resurrection, not as if it's real, because it is real. We need to step out of our tombs because you stepped out of your tomb. So Lord, I pray that you would help all of us who are entombed by something, depression, doubt, shame, guilt, unforgiveness, whatever, Jesus, that we would step out of that tomb with your help and to determine to live the life that you've promised to give us, the abundant life that you died so we could have. And Lord, there might be some folks here today that are just at that spot, that making that decision to put their faith and trust in you as their personal Lord and Savior. And Lord, today I pray that they would make that decision. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. So if you're in that spot, You're considering whether you're going to make that decision. I pray that you won't consider any longer. But you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So God, guide us uh, out of any tomb that holds us back and into the abundant life that you've given us. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen. You are now free to get up out of your seats and take communion.